All right. All right. I want you to remember, last week, Kevin Prowlis, we did a pause button on our Empowered series. Kevin Prowlis just knocked it out of the park on worship, even got us to all sing harmony. Unbelievable. Thank you, God. Okay, first time I've ever sang it with any success whatsoever, so thank you very much. All right. Now, but here we are. We're in our Empowered, we're coming back to our Empowered series, and I think I got the clicker. I might not have it. Okay, I don't know if I got it or not, because mine's working, but that's not working. Can you give me a hand on that? Okay, thank you. All right, so you're going to see this image come up, and you're going to see fire coming down. And what this is about is this. Empowered is this idea that we are learning how to become God's disciples by having him teach us the same way he taught them, which means this. We're going through Luke, and we're seeing how God taught them, and then we're being Lukean people. Right? Is that a word? Okay. We're being people from that book that are going through this experience so that we too are experiencing what they experienced in the order in which they experienced it as God is raising us up, right? Now what happened was we got to chapter 8 about three weeks ago, and in chapter 8 we learned something about parables. And it was the first parable that he preached, and it's very important if you weren't here to, to know this part of it. The thing about parables is, think about a parable. You hear a parable one time, you remember it, don't you? Right? You hear somebody talking about something, who cares what it is, geology or whatever, you don't remember it. It takes a lot of time, a lot of study, a lot of effort. But you hear a parable one time, and you remember it. Not only do you remember it, but you remember what it's about, what it's supposed to do in you. You hear a parable one time, and that one time starts to change your behavior because it's so close to you. God has built us in a way that when we get that parable type understanding it does something in us that changes our behavior because it's so close to us see that so that's what we looked at and we did look at one other thing which was he said this weird thing where he said to you it's been given to know what parables mean but to them it hasn't i didn't po point at you for any reason you're here you love god it's good <laughs> but to people that don't know god okay but but here's what he was saying in that watch this what he was saying was, what's the difference between somebody who knows what it means and somebody who doesn't, who's sitting over there because, right? What's the difference? That they want to know. All you have to do is want to know. In order to understand a parable, all you have to do is what? Want to know what it means. Go to God and ask him, and he'll tell you. <laughs> and then you will know what that parable means. See it? All right? Now, that's a parable, and we looked at what parables are that first week. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the actual parable, which was the sower and the seed. And just real briefly, again, I just need to catch everybody up. The sower and the seed is this parable about fruitfulness, right? What he's saying is, is God is sowing his word. Some of it's falling on ground that's been trampled and is hard. The root doesn't go down. Satan comes and steals it. Some of it goes into rocky soil. This rocky soil is... You know, it can take a root, it can go down and do a root, but it's not like good soil. It's not, you can't build the right root system. And then when persecution comes, when hardship comes, it withers and dies. Some of it goes into good soil and it starts to spring up, but so does all this other stuff that we care about, like, like being rich and, and being at least comfortable and being taken care of and being comfortable. You see what I mean? And all of these concerns about the world start to choke out these things. But some of it falls on the good soil, and it grows up and it produces a crop 30, 60, 100-fold. 
So it's talking about fruitfulness, right? Now, the passage that we're going to do right here in the intro, I want you to just bounce to because we're going we're gonna, to, at the end of this parable about the sower, he says this little thing that we looked at a little bit last time, but we're coming back to it now to see it. And the reason why is because he says something really odd. Watch this. See, this first part of this little story about being a light, this totally fits, right? God's talking about fruitfulness, and here's what he says. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, put, puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Real simple, okay? We got it, right? You guys, do me a favor back there. Are you listening? Okay? Make the right-hand one bigger for me, okay? All right? So no one puts it on a jar, puts it on a bed. So that's talking about fruit, right? If you've got, if something's come into you, you're supposed to be giving it back out. That's simple. It flows perfectly, right? But now watch this one. Tell me what this means. Um, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Nothing is hidden. You know what? Let's do this. Let's take that verse totally out of the context of what we now know it to be, which is in the parable of the sower and the light. Take that out of the verse. If somebody just came to you and the first thing they said to you is they read the scripture to you and they said, Here's the scripture. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. What do we think? Particularly, guys. The stuff that I do is kind of in secret. I sure don't want that to be in the light. So, isn't that kind of where your mind goes with it? I mean, what else does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean that, because that doesn't have anything to do with this. And Jesus is not in the habit of just randomly changing topic. He's a very good communicator. So what does it mean? Now, remember something. I've given you, look, I'm a believer that you don't need to be a Hebrew and Greek scholar anymore to do a really excellent job of understanding what Scripture means. And I tell you this by this. You can go, for example, to our website. You can go down to the low, there's two bars, a high bar, which is about the church, and then a low bar, which is about discipleship. You can go down to the lower bar, you can click on the soap, you can click on the day's soap, it'll bring you into Bible Gateway, and Bible Gateway will have the New Living Translation of the Old Testament and the New Testament verses that were on that day, okay? Now, if you get confused because something comes up like this, here's my first suggestion. Ask God. Just like a parable, right? Ask God, what does it mean? But if you really can't figure it out, then do a little study, and here's how you do study. You just go right up on Bible Gateway and you click Change the Translation. And start looking for another translation, and how did they translate it, trying to get some help. And remember, there's what we call liter literal translations, transliterations, literally. And what that means is, is we're trying to translate that word, and then the next word, and then the next word, and put them in the right order so we can understand it. See? And then there's on the other end of the spectrum what we call paraphrases. And paraphrases are... We're trying to, we're not, the, the words are important, but what we're trying to get to is, is when somebody was listening to this right then, what were they hearing? What was it doing in them emotionally? What was it doing in them, see? So paraphrases are not bad translations, they're wonderful. You just have to be careful about both the transliteration and the paraphrase to understand. So I want to show you a paraphrase here. That's how you can do good study, and so I want to do that with you real quick and show you. Now watch. This is the message, which would be a heavy-duty paraphrase, right? We're not keeping secrets. We're telling them. We're not hiding things. We're bringing everything out into the open. Do you see how much sense that makes now? You're supposed to be a light. Don't hide anything. Bring it out in the open. 
Ah, oh, now it makes perfect sense. I can move on, not have any problems. Not really. And the reason why is because that paraphrase helped me understand, and the, and the sense of what Eugene Peterson gets to there with that message, it is actually true. But here's the deal. Sometimes God says things in a difficult way because he's trying to communicate more than one thing at once. And that saying them in a difficult way is the only way to communicate both things or the fullness of what he wanted to say. So I want to say, you've got to be careful, but you, you know, we are. And so what we do is we go back and tell me whether Eugene Peterson's translation of that really catches everything that's in this difficult way of saying it. So Eugene Peterson's saying this, don't, hold, don't keep it a secret, shout it. But here's what's actually being said in the verse. There's something hidden. And you're supposed to dig into it in order to figure out what the heck it means so that you can share it. See? That's consistent with Peterson said, but it goes to a different level. In other words, it's saying, just like a parable, and remember, this is Jesus' first parable, and he's teaching people how to understand parables. We're supposed to do with the things that Jesus says when we have a difficulty, the same thing that he says to do with a parable, which is what? Figure out what it means. Ask God, what does it mean? Spend some time on it. Spend some prayer on it. Spend some effort on it. Expend your energy, your horsepower, your intellectual horsepower to try and understand what it means because when you do, all of a sudden you're going to start going, oh my gosh, there was so much more in there than my superficial quick reading would have ever picked up. You see it? In fact, here's the way that Jesus says what I'm saying. Take care then how you hear. Not what you hear, how you hear. What does how mean? It means think about how you're processing what I'm saying so that you process it better, more deeply, more richly. Find the real meaning. If you do that, then to the one who has, you'll be given, more will be given. See, if you do that, you'll get a revelation. You'll get an aha. That's how a parable works, right? That's what we learn. And what a parable does is, we're looking at it, we're trying to figure it out, and all of a sudden we go, oh, right? Aha! I get what that means. Now I look at it every time and I go, it can't mean anything but that. <laughs> I totally get what that, oh, I got a revelation, and man, I'm so excited I can't wait to share it. So what he's saying is, is look, take care of how you hear, for if you really work at finding his meaning in things, you're going to have more, it's going to build. But, if you don't do that, then even what you think you have is going to go away. It's going to be taken away, but it's going to drift out, right? If you're not ever trying to find out what his meaning is in all things, then you're not going to find that meaning, and then you're not going to have the benefit of what he was trying to teach you. And where you, you know, you don't, we can't stay at stasis with God. We're either growing in him or dying. One or the other. Now Watch. Take care how you hear. The one who has more will be given. The one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will not be taken away. Now, I want to tell you, it just didn't, I want to tell you why I'm so excited about this sermon. I've been, I, I, anyway, I don't want to go into that. What I want to say is, if you really understand, if you'll take the time to understand the meaning of what I'm going after today, 
you're going to find out that it goes way beyond parables. It starts going into every single thing that's ever happening in your life. God is this unbelievable composer who has composed a symphony with varying movements throughout the times of your life that is adding up into this unbelievable piece of music. And it coordinates with all these other people's pieces of music that he's been writing to where the whole thing comes together and becomes an even greater crescendo. Do you see it? What I'm saying is you're supposed to be going after his meaning in everything. And I'm going to show you that. If you don't believe that, I'm going to show it to you in just a sec. But here's what I want us to do. If you really will take the time to wrestle with what we're talking about here today, and if you'll really take the time to wrestle and get it into your life so that it becomes the thing that you do all the time, you're going to find that this insight that we're talking about today will change everything in your life. I'll tell you about it in a second as my own testimony on it. But do we get where we're going? So this is what we're doing. Who's actually praying for us? I know that was a long intro. It's, it's not a short sermon, but it's not horribly long. Okay. Greg Thatcher, this is awesome. Obviously, worship leader and everything else. Greg, you're just wonderful. Okay, so pray for the sermon. Pray for another church. Father, we pray for our ears to be able to hear. Let, Amen. God, you have, you have told us to uh, bring clear ears to hear. Lord, your word uh, will abide forever. And so I pray that it be clarity from Kurt and clarity for us to hear. Father, I want to lift up uh, our brothers and sisters in Bucha, Ukraine, and Lord, the, the church that's there at the site where the school and the orphanage is, in the name of Jesus, would you protect our brothers and sisters there? Amen. Lord, you have established something great there. Would you bless those that are ministering and bring comfort and peace to their hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Greg. Awesome. All right, so the key thing that we're going after today is take care how you're here. We're going to be looking at how we hear, in particular, we're going to be looking at how God made us to be able to find his meaning in everything. Now, right there, there's some people that would say this. God's in some things, but he's not in everything. Okay? Now, I just want to challenge that for a moment. Here's a scripture that says this. We know that God causes a few things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, and the rest of them, it's not such a big deal, so he doesn't worry about them, so it's fine. <laughs> Don't just chill on that. That's the translation, right? That's my paraphrase. Okay? What he says is, we know that God causes everything, like a symphony, everything, even the smallest details. God causes everything to work together for good. Now, consider that for a moment. Here's the way, remember the parable. You can either be a person who's trying to understand it or a person who's not. Right? Now, let's just take, let's just say that you're having a tremendously difficult time in your life. Right? Now, here, there's two ways of handling it. Here's the first way. God, that was not fair. Maybe it was your fault. Maybe it was somebody else's fault. Either way, the point is something really bad happened to you. God, that was not fair. Or God, you know what? You're not really good. Or you know what? God, you're not really all powerful. Or you know what? God, I just don't like you because you let that happen. Or you know, I prayed to you forever and then you didn't do it and now I can't trust you. Or, 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 or. What, what, what is the limit upon which... We can, is, there, is it 10,000 or is it 50 billion different ways that we can have an issue with God? Right? And think that we're somehow justified in it. See that? Right? It's just as varied as our fingerprints are. Right? 
every person having their own way to find a way to explain this that has God sort of on the, on the stand, right? the, the, you know, being judged. Now here's the other way that we can look at these things. We can say that his scripture says that he's working everything together for good, which right there means that he's good, and right there means that he's all-powerful. So if he's good and he's all-powerful, and he's saying that he's working everything, then I have to start understanding that everything is actually working for good for me. Now, sometimes that may take you a couple of hours to figure out how he's doing that. Sometimes that may take you a couple of decades. R literally, right? I mean, 40 years in the Bible, over and over. 40 years it took, right? Okay? Sometimes you even die not quite knowing the answer. But I just want to propose to you that the person who is trying to find his meaning, trusting that he's good, trusting that he's able, trusting that he's in control, trusting that there's something to be found here that will cause me to fall in love with him, that will cause me to know him more deeply, to be, to be astounded by, yet again, the intricacy of the, of the music that he's playing, the, comp the composition that he's working through my life. Even if you never found the answer to that, you're going to be better off, aren't you? Because what you're doing is, is you're saying, I'm going after more, and the person that's going after more is going to get more. That's what the scripture just said. And the scripture who's not going after more, what are they going to get? It's just going to drain out of them. So you can either be a person who's going after or not. Now let's, let's just be really frank and clear. Okay? All of us get this wrong all the time. I know what the meaning is. Oops. There's a soberness to it, right? There's got to be a, if you've interpreted something a certain way and then it's sort of, you just have to sort of really crank things and figure them out in order to make them fit again, maybe you got it wrong. Maybe there's something else going on. We all get it wrong. So practice makes perfect, or at least closer to perfect. Do what he's asked you to do, which is find the meaning in everything. Because when you do, you find him. See it? Now let's take this a little bit deeper, okay? Uh, take care how you hear. We need to work on some more ways. We need to work on what that means, how I hear. So now here's something that many of you saw on Facebook. Ten things highly intuitive people do differently. Now I want to tell you, when I saw this post, I did what I normally do, which is kind of a skim. Didn't read it carefully. And what I thought it was, was there's intuitive people in the world, and then there's not intuitive people in the world, and I wanted to see which one am I, and so I went and I just looked at the ten things they said, and I said, do I do this or not? And it so happens I do all ten of them, and so I went, oh, I'm highly intuitive, and isn't that interesting? And I posted it on Facebook, and people said, me too, and other people said, I'm not, and you know what I mean? But that's, we all get it, right? There's intuitive people in the world, and there's not intuitive people in the world, right? Absolutely wrong. What this article is actually about, and the only reason I know this is because when I was praying about this sermon, God showed me what the sermon was about and then drove me to go back and look at this article. And what this article is about is scientific, the latest scientific research about how people come to know anything. And here's what they're discovering. Intuition is at the heart of how every single person learns. Whether you, there's some people that know they're intuitive, and so they're, they, they totally get what I'm saying. There's other people that go, I'm not intuitive at all. What are you talking about? 
And yet what the scientists are doing is they're saying, underneath your lack of understanding of your own processes is the same process for everybody. These ten things are not, do I do six of them? These ten things are, these are the ten things that will make everybody realize how intuitive you really are, and whether you're good at it or bad at it, get better at it. That's what those ten things are. They're exercises, and next week we're going to look at them in great detail. Okay, because the, the, the parallel between what is a secular work by scientists and the scripture is phenomenal. It's the kind of thing, in fact, that we've been looking at quite a bit here when we do things like, and I almost hate to even bring this up again because I, I just did it a few weeks ago, but I've got to do it for this sermon. I want to show you something. When we say that everybody's intuitive, the reason why we can now say that is because what we're learning about how the brain works, it works on intuition. It works on there's some sense of something that I marshal my intellect towards trying to understand, and when I come to understand it, it comes into me as a aha, a revelation, and that's what sticks in me. That's how I learn it. And now it becomes something I not only know, but I start to do because it's become so much a part of me. You see that? And what I mean by that when I say that is this brain thing that we talk about so much. On the left-hand side, this is the old understanding of how the brain works. Remember this? You, the the left-hand side is all analytical and it's just, you know, working the facts, ma'am, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then on the right-hand side, it's playing in the park and doing pictures and so on. And what we used to say was, is, oh, you're a right-brain person and so you're very creative, but I'm not that way. I'm left-brain and I work all these facts and figures and so on. That's what we used to say. A total wrong understanding of how right and, breath, right and left brain work. Here's a better way to understand it. I've said it before. Give me two seconds to go so I can bring everybody to the same place. Now watch. Here's what's actually happening. The right and the left brain are absolutely essential to knowing anything. Because here's what the left brain does. The left brain gathers information. It's always gathering information from everything that's happening. It's bringing in information. That's all it's doing. It's not processing at all. What the left brain's doing is gathering information. What the right brain does is the right brain sits on top of the left brain, and what it does is it tries to make sense of the information that's coming. Now, a really good way to understand this in the first level is this. I've used it before, but you walk into a dark room, your eyes are getting acclimated to the room, you start to be able to see walls, and all of a sudden, back in the corner, you see something that's obviously not on the wall, and it's quite tall, and it's quite big, and God, God, it looks like a bear. And so your right brain goes, even though it has incomplete information, it says, that's a bear run, and so you take off. And then somebody comes and flips the light on, and it turns out it was a coat rack. Now, it was pretty helpful. If it was, it would have been a bear, but, you know. But you see, the point we were, what we're saying is, is has, anybody, has anybody watching the Cosmos, this series that's come out that was like the, the new one? And everything else. I want to say it's one of the most ungodly things I've ever seen in my life. They are they are relentlessly anti-God, just relentlessly to the point that I'm just going, ah, oh, this is just so frustrating, because everything they're saying, they take everything and they just turn it into something else. But what the, one of the things that they're saying, and this is absolutely true, is we're pattern recognition beings. This is one of the things that we're finding. What we do is we take any information, and our brain tries to find the meaning in it. This is the intuition thing we're talking about. That's what intuition is. It's that trying to make sense, having a sense that there's something there, having information, incomplete or not, and trying to make sense of it. We do do that. This is the way God made us. And one of the ways that we can illustrate it that's kind of fun is humor. 
So I'm going to do three different ones here. And I just want you to see, because each one's going to get more to where you see how the right brain works. Because here's what happens. Sometimes when a joke comes, it comes real easy. As soon as you're reading the joke, you totally understand it. You don't really even feel the right brain doing its work. It's just funny. Here's what funny is. There's a stream of information coming into the left brain. The right brain is handling it, handling it. And all of a sudden it goes, and there's something that comes along that's totally incongruous to what's come before. And when that happens, your right brain has to go, why, how do I make those two things fit? And then all of a sudden it makes them fit, and when it makes them fit, it goes, oh, that's funny. <laughs> so it's an aha revelation moment. I want you to feel this, literally feel, like Kevin was doing last week. Now watch. Okay, here's the first joke. This is the easy one. You'll hardly even feel the right brain kicking it. To-do list. Number one, make a to-do list. Number two, check, thing, check off the first thing on the to-do list. Number three, realize you've already accomplished two things. Number four, reward yourself with a nap in progress. <laughs> See, now that's funny, right? But it was like immediate. Now watch this one. This is one where your brain has to do, your right brain has to do a little bit more work in order to understand why it's funny so the laughter comes a little bit more cataclysmic. It comes more as a revelation. Now watch this one, okay? I'm not going to read it. You've got to read it, okay? I'll read it to the people that are listening in a second. I wonder if Superman ever put glasses on Lois Lane's dog and she was like, I've never seen this dog before. Is this a new dog? <laughs> now, that's funny. It's, I thought it was funnier than what apparently you do. <laughs> but that's funny because you have to bring in this information about how stupid Lois Lane was that Clark would put on glasses and she couldn't recognize him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? So it's just funny. Now, this one you've got to reach for even harder and given your first responses, I'm worried, okay? But I, I think this one is hilarious, okay? This is, a, this is an actual note from a kid to the parents, and the kid's about five years old. Her name is Catherine, okay? So here we go. <laughs> it's for those who are listening, it says, good morning. I see my assassins have failed, Catherine. <laughs> right? You know, I mean, if you're reading this list, then my assassins have failed. <laughs> anyway. Wow. <laughs> I thought you guys would laugh a lot more than this, okay? I thought I'd release a couple of endorphins and you'd feel really good about me at this point. Thank you for that. Thank you for the charity laugh. It does come across as a charity laugh, but I'll take it, okay? All right, but you see what's happening here? You, you, can, you can feel as your brain has to figure out why that's funny. And then when it gets to an aha, it's a spontaneous burst. See that? Now, that isn't just about humor, that's about everything. This research, which we're going to look at in more detail next week, this research, the cutting edge research is telling this. This is how everybody's brain works. Whether you think you're intuitive or not, this is how the mind works to create meaning that the brain can hold on to, react to, and live according to. See that? There, what we're learning is, it's an, we thought, well, you just tell people stuff and then they get it. And they don't. Okay, it goes away. But the more you can bring in the right brain having to figure it out, the more the right brain, when it figures it out, goes, oh my gosh, that's important, and then it imprints. See? 
Now, just to show you in scriptural terms what we're talking about, okay? I don't know why I'm having to double-click. Are you guys doing it for me? If you are, thank you for that. As you go, Jesus says to the disciples, the kingdom, to say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. We're doing empowered, and we're trying to learn how to do the things that God wants us to do, right? But notice what this says. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? It, there's a way of interpreting it that means the kingdom of heaven is coming. That's not what it means at all. What it means is it's right here, right now. Here's how it is. This is what the physicists are telling us, okay? We Christians have been saying it for a long time. But what we're saying is the kingdom of God is not out there or up there. The kingdom of God is right here all the time. We have a perception of height, of width, some more than others, and depth and time. There are now, scientists are figuring out, many other dimensions that have been wrapped up in ways that we cannot directly perceive them. But like a wind blowing through our world, even though we can't see the wind, we can see the effects of it. And so people who are trying to find meaning, scientists, are saying it's quite clear that there's other dimensions out there and that they are actually are affecting our dimension. And the way that we can tell is because we can see the effects as they're coming through. See? They help to explain things that we can't perceive, but we know they're out there because we work at getting the meaning and we understand that they're out there. Do you see it? Am I losing everybody here? Should I just go back somewhere else? Okay. We good? Okay. Because this gets even better, I hope. All right? But, but you see what we're doing? What we're saying is the kingdom of heaven is ahead. Here's what I'm saying. Watch. Remember, remember stories like Elijah and all these angels that suddenly show up, right? And, and what happens is, see, the spiritual, say my hand is, in, is completely thin. Completely thin, okay? Now, the spiritual is right there, right in front of me. But I can't perceive it at all. But God can go like this. And now all of a sudden I see the angel. Or I see an epiphany of God. Or I see, all, I see, I see, I see. See what I mean? There's all kinds of things in the spiritual that we can see if God were to just go like this. He doesn't in order to preserve our free will. Not to say he never does because there's stories in the Bible of him doing that and there's stories in our lives of him doing that. As we will heal the sick and raise the dead and see that there's something more than just height, width, depth, and time. There's something else that's blowing through and having a real effect on our world. See that? The spiritual is at hand. Now, with that in mind, here's what John says. You all have knowledge, you know everything. And I put this in this word because here's the way most, most translations will say, you all have knowledge. You all know stuff. Right? But here's what it actually is saying, and, I, and I, I've done a lot of research on this, so I'm very comfortable in what I'm saying right here. Okay? The earliest manuscripts all said, you know everything. And the reason why that didn't survive in later manuscripts is because people would read that and they say, sure, that's a mistake. And the Greek does have a way of translating. It's a difficult translation, but it does have a way of translating to you all know as opposed to you know all. See the difference? Now, the natural way to read it is you know all. But, the, but these guys, as they were going, they said, we don't know all. Do we? Do you? Do you know everything? There's a lot of people that think they do. Okay? But you don't. So it can't be true, so it must be you all know. 
And that's, that's why it gets in there. But the truth is, if you, if you look at those earliest manuscripts and you look at that, here's what he's actually saying. We forget the first part of the verse. The reason why we know everything is because you've been anointed by the Holy One. What's that mean? The Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? God. How much does God know? Everything. And he's in you. The Holy Spirit's in you. And what's he doing in you? Well, here's what he's doing. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, counselor, guide. A very difficult to translate word in one thing. Because what it means is, it means somebody who is going like this. The, the word literally means somebody who's walking right along with you and pointing things out to you and saying things to you. And he's walking with you in the most intimate way that you could imagine. The helper, the counselor, the guide. See it? Thank you. In fact, he goes on to say, the helper, the counselor, the guide, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you a few things. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. What don't you know? Ask God. Something's happening in my life. I don't understand what's happening. Ask God. And then use the horsepower that you've got in order to come to an understanding of what that is. This is the, this is the Christian walk. The scientists have just discovered what the Christian has been trying to live for 2,000 years. You see it? We've been trying to live this, and now what we're finding out is we're, we're built this way. You say that you're not intuitive. It's just not true. You just don't know it. Next week, we're going to look at how to really exercise that intuition in a way that's going to help a lot. But for this week, I want to come back and I want to show you some cool quotes. Albert Einstein, the most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious. This is a scientist, not a mystic, not a new age. This is a scientist, say, the most beautiful. What's he using the word beautiful for? This is science. We can have as the mysterious, the fundamental emotion which stands at the cradle of true art and true science. See what he's saying? He's saying, I discovered something. What I'm doing in my science turns out to be not at all different than what the artist is doing. There's something that's going on, and I don't know what it is, and I'm using all of my God-given resources to try and understand it. And as I do, the things that come to me, they're not just knowledge, it turns out they're beautiful. E equals mc squared. Einstein said, I know when a thing is true because, it's, because when, it, when we finally get it, it's beautiful. <coughs> now what he's saying when he says that, I've got to do one more brain thing with you. You remember frontal cortex? That's where analyzing goes. Frontal cortex is where we're, we're taking information and we're analyzing it and rationalizing and we're figuring it out and we're juxtaposing it and we're doing all this kind of stuff. But then see that limbic system, learning and emotions? I want to show you where the limbic system is and how big it is. You see how big? That's all the limbic system right there. You see all those different parts. And then you see exterior to that is where reasoning is. You know what this means? God has built you to be able to hear his still, small voice. God has built you to be able to sense his wind passing through your life. You get a sense of something, and then you send it out to the frontal cortex to work on what it might be. 
and it brings back meaning to you. And that meaning is, ah, oh, some of that's right and some of that's not right. So if you send it back, and then you work on it some more, and then it comes back, and at one point in time, all of a sudden, you come, it comes back with something, and you go, oh, my God, that's beautiful. That's incredible. Do you see how it's in the center of the brain? If I were to show you some other pictures I have, which I could do, they've taken pictures of how all the neural pathways go. Everything travels through the emotions always. It goes out to the exterior, but then it doesn't stay on the exterior ever. It always goes back down through the limbic system again, which is to say that God has built us to literally always be testing, is it, is it right by my, my, my senses? Do you see it? And again, I want to say, there's people that are sitting in here going, that's not how I do it. It is how you do it. You're not aware that that's how you're doing it. And when you become aware that that's how you're doing it, you actually can get a lot further down the road. Okay? There's other people that do this all the time, and this is going to help rein you in a little bit so that you can be more purposeful and, and more accurate on what is actually taking place. But again, coming back to Einstein, he's talking about Beethoven, and he says this. He, he, he says, when I, when I hear Beethoven's music, I hear Beethoven's mind. But when I hear Mozart's music, and remember Einstein was a, was a violinist, when I hear Mozart's music, I hear all of humanity. Here's how he actually articulated this. Now watch how much this is spitting with what we're saying. While Beethoven created his music, Mozart's music, Einstein's word here, was so pure that it seems to have been ever-present in the universe waiting to be discovered. Isn't that beautiful? Waiting to be discovered. I'm going to show you a clip now that I showed a longer version of on the Sunday a few years ago when the Seahawks were in the playoffs. And we didn't have Sunday morning service, but we did an early thing. And I showed a clip from a TED Talk, one of the most famous TED Talks ever. And it's by a gal named Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, a book I do not recommend, but bottom line, uh, the bottom line, what she's, she's not talking about that book. What she's talking about is, she says this. She says, I wrote a book that was so famous that I'm now in the unenviable position of having done the greatest work that I'll ever do in my life. And she said, I'm having this trial because I'm trying to live up to what I did before, and it's driving me crazy. Literally, it's driving me mad, as so many artists go mad, because they're trying to live up to something that she'll explain to you right now actually wasn't them. It turned out it was something else entirely. And when we take credit for it, that's where we get jammed up. There's something, we call it in the Christian world, anointing. His presence, right? So hear this, and I want you to hear how she speaks about it. Um, ancient Greece and ancient Rome, people did not happen to believe that creativity came from human beings back then, okay? People believed that creativity was this divine attendant spirit that came to human beings from some distant and unknowable source. The Romans had the same idea, but they called that sort of disembodied creative spirit a genius, um, which is great, because the Romans did not actually think that a genius was a particularly clever individual. They believed that a genius was this sort of magical divine entity um, who was believed to literally live in the walls of an artist's studio, kind of like Dobby, the house elf, um, and who would come out and sort of invisibly assist the artist with their work and would shape the outcome of that work. And uh, 
this is how people thought about creativity in the West for a really long time. And then the Renaissance came and everything changed and we had this big idea and the big idea was let's put the individual human being at the center of the universe, right? Above all gods and mysteries and there's no more room for like mystical creatures who take dictation from the divine and, and it's the beginning of rational humanism and um, people started to believe that creativity came completely from the self of the individual and for the first time in history you start to hear people referring to this or that artist as being a genius rather than having a genius. And I gotta tell you, I think that was a huge error. Um, I had this encounter recently where I met the extraordinary American poet, Ruth Stone, who's now in her 90s, but she's been a poet her entire life. And she told me that when she was growing up in rural Virginia, she would be out working in the fields and she said she would like feel and hear a poem coming at her from over the landscape. And she said it was like a thunderous train of air and it would come barreling down at her over the landscape. And when she felt it coming, because it would like shake the earth under her feet, she knew that she had only one thing to do at that point and that was to, in her words, run like hell. And she would like run like hell to the house and she'd be getting chased by this poem. And the whole deal was that she had to get to a piece of paper and a pencil fast enough so that when it thundered through her, she could collect it and, um, and grab it on the page. And other times, she wouldn't be fast enough, so she'd be like running and running and running, and the, she wouldn't get to the house, and the poem would like barrel through her, and she would miss it, and she said it would continue on across the landscape, looking, as she put it, for another poet. And, um, and then there were these times, this is the piece I never forgot, she said that there were moments when she would almost miss it, right? So she's like running into the house and she's looking for the paper and the poem passes through her and she grabs a pencil just as it's going through her and then she said it was like she would reach out with her other hand and she would catch it. She would catch the poem by its tail and she would pull it backwards into her body as she was transcribing on the page and in these instances the poem would come up on the page perfect and intact but backwards from the last word to the first. So when I heard that, I was like, that's, un you know, that's uncanny. That's exactly what my creative process is like. <laughs> it's not at all what my creative process, I'm not the pipeline, you know, like I'm a mule. And the way that I have to work is that I have to get up at the same time every day and like sweat and labor and like barrel through it really awkwardly. But even I, in my mulishness, even I have brushed up against that thing, you know, at times. Um, and I would imagine that a lot of you have too. You know, like even I have had work or ideas come through me from a source that I honestly cannot identify. In the end, it's like this, okay? Centuries ago, in the deserts of North Africa, people used to gather for these moonlight dances of sacred dance and music that would go on for hours and hours until dawn. And they were always magnificent because the dancers were professionals and they were terrific, right? But every once in a while, very rarely, something would happen and one of these performers would actually become transcendent. And I know you know what I'm talking about because I know you've all seen at some point in your life a performance like this, you know? And it was like time would stop and the dancer would sort of step through some kind of portal and he wasn't doing anything different than he had ever done, you know, a thousand nights before, but everything would align and all of a sudden he would no longer appear to be merely human. You know, he would be like lit from within and lit from below and all like lit up on fire with divinity. And when this happened back then, people knew it for what it was, you know, they called it by its name. They would put their hands together and they would start to chant, Allah, 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 God, 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 that's God, you know? Um, curious historical footnote, um, when the Moors invaded southern Spain, they took this 
custom with them, and the pronunciation changed over the centuries from Allah, Allah, Allah to Ole, 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 which you still hear in bullfights and in flamenco dances in Spain when a performer has done something impossible and magic. Allah, Ole, Ole, Allah, magnificent, bravo, incomprehensible, there it is, a glimpse of God. You know, this is how I've started to think, and this is certainly how I was thinking about it in the last few months, you know, as um, I've been working on the book that will soon be published as the dangerously, frighteningly over-anticipated follow-up to my um, freakish success. Um, and, and, and what I have to sort of keep telling myself when I get really psyched out about that is um, don't be afraid, don't be daunted, just do your job. Continue to show up for your piece of it, whatever that might be. If your job is to dance, do your dance. If the divine cockeyed genius assigned to your case decides to let some sort of wonderment be glimpsed for just one moment through your efforts, then ole. And if not, do your dance anyhow. And ole to you nonetheless. I believe this and I feel like we must teach it. Ole to you nonetheless, just for having the sheer human love and stubbornness to keep showing up. Thank you. Yeah, we all get that, you know, how easy it is to take what she's saying and go to God with that, right? Just, tr just transferring concepts, she doesn't know the Lord, and transferring the concepts to what our Christian walk is. I want to tell you that when I heard that, I, I connected with it in a special way because I've had an Olay moment. I was in grad school, I'd already done a theological master's, and I was now working on how to become evangelistic with that, and so I was working primarily on philosophy, but that was in the communication department. And they were making me take a class that was uh, just another general sort of credit class, right? And so I just picked playwriting because I like playwriting, but I had no desire to be a playwright or anything else. And I, I, I was working one day, and I, I was working on another class altogether. And I was tired. It was a Saturday, and I just, you know, I'm not a good napper. I'm a terrible napper. I need to learn how to be better at it. But what I did was is I... I <clears throat> took a nap, a quick nap, and as I was waking up from my nap, this play, I'd never written a play before in my life, this play just dropped into my heart. This entire play. Now, I usually say it differently because it's too hard to explain, but I want to tell you in more detail what happened. For the next two hours, I got up, the whole thing was right there, and I got up, and all I did was I was just writing down what he had shown me in the five minutes or so it took for it to come into my head. And I wrote down the whole play, and I outlined the entire thing, the characters, the sets, the acts, the, everything about this play I wrote down in all of its outline and quite a bit of detail and everything else. It took me about two hours. And then here's the part that I want to show you, and this is the part that she's talking about. See, she was talking about great artistic feat, right? That was an Olay moment for me. And by the way, the reason why I know that it was an Olay moment is because I'd never written a play in my life. I submitted it to the top playwriting competition in the country, a, a competition that gets probably 10 to 20,000 plays a year, and I was one of the top three plays in the country that year. So that wasn't me. And I have to tell you, I never wrote anything as good. Okay? Dave Brunk wrote Rogue Saints, and I marveled at it because I saw Olay in the delicacy of the story. And Adam did a f fantastic job of playing that out. But here's what I want to say. Now watch, here's what I learned. This is where it's getting to all of us, right? Because you're saying, well, I'm not Einstein, and I'm not Mozart, and I'm not Elizabeth Gilbert, and I'm not even you, Kurt. But now watch. Because God let me ride that bike, 
I wasn't always like that. I'm not saying I wasn't always doing it. I was always doing it. I just didn't recognize that I was doing it. But now that he had showed me this pure moment of his presence, his anointing, him giving me something, what I had to do for the next two weeks was actually write the play. And here's what that was. It wasn't just writing down. I would write something down, and I would be all the time filtering the, f the stuff I was thinking through the thing of the limbic, and I was asking myself, is it true to what he revealed to me? Is this still on point? And I would write something down, and I'd go, no, it, it misses the point, and I would just erase it. And then I would just try it again. And then I'd just erase it, and I'd try it again. I, and, all, and then all of a sudden, I would get it, and I would go, yeah, that's it. Oh, that's it. And I could just feel it. And so I learned, you see, she's saying, I want to thank you for just showing up and trying. And she's talking to artists. Here's what I'm saying to us Christians. I want to encourage you to just try. I want to encourage you to go after this. Because what will happen if you have an understanding of what's supposed to happen is every once in a while you'll glimpse it and you'll feel it and then you'll know what it feels like and then you'll know to try, try to ride the bike that way. I'm telling you, as I've said before, Every sermon that I've ever written comes out of my walk. That's a quiet time where I, the first thing I do is I read the word and I let God talk to me and then I go out and I talk to him and he talks to me and every one of them starts as a bit of a, I'm kind of like, oh, that's interesting. What is that? Okay, okay. And I start exploring it and I try to stay true to the sense of it because I know what it feels like to ride that bike now. See? And I just keep refining it and refining it and refining it until I really feel like, okay, I'm in the middle of whatever this stream is. This is really coming from the Lord, and this is amazing, and thank you, God. And that's what every sermon is like. Now, I could do them differently, because I know how to do things differently, because I did things differently a lot of my life. But then God showed me a better way to do things. And that was to take every part of my intellect and every part of my heart and every part of me and to start marshalling it in the pursuit of finding God. I'm going to say something. Dave Brunk is here. He can tell you if I'm lying. I've known the Lord for about 40 years. I'm coming up on 40 years here in, I think, a year or something like that. I don't know how old I am yet. How old are you? Yeah, okay, no. Really? You're so vain? You won't show your age? I'm either 58 or 59. But if, if, if I'm going to be 59. If, I, if I'm going to be 59, then it's 40 years because I was 19. Okay. Now, I want to tell you that of those 40 years, 35 of them, I, I really worked it out. Not, I can't do it precisely, but roughly 35 of those years have been a no-holds-bar, pedal-to-the-metal, passionate pursuit of God. Honest to goodness. And the result has been more and more and more of him. To the point that the last six months of my life, 40 years now with him, the last six months of my life are the best six months in God I've ever had in my life. He's taught me more. I've learned more. I've been able to communicate more deeply, more foundationally. I've been able to do more. Everything about it. They're the best six months I've ever had in my life. But you have to understand that the six months before those six months were the best six months I'd ever had up until then. And the six months before that was the best six months. I'd ever, in fact, those five years that are missing and you're wondering about, 
Those are the five years that I really wasn't passionately pursuing God and things were actually draining out of me and I was losing hope and I was losing communion. I was losing connection. I was losing closeness and everything and I just felt myself dying and having ridden the bike of life and joy so much, I just couldn't stand to live there and so I literally just said, I'm getting back on the horse and then God took me off at a gallop again. Now this is true. We just have to understand. I, I, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, just for time's sake, I don't think we're going to do a discussion unless you guys just really want to, and then the people that do will say it, and then the people that don't won't say it, and then you'll feel like you have to stay, so we're just not going to do it. <laughs> but I really want to do a discussion right now, and the reason why I want to do a discussion right now is because I want you to talk about this, and I want you to ask questions. In fact, I'm sorry. We're going to do a three-minute discussion, Okay. <laughs> I just really want, is there a question out there? Is there somebody, I, I really, here's who I really want to hear from right now. By the way, here's a nice Einstein quote to show you. The laws of nature such as those of relativity theory were waiting to be plucked out of the cosmos by someone with a sympathetic ear. It's not an actual, but you see what he's saying? He's saying this isn't just about art. This is about everything that we do in our life. This is about finding meaning in everything. And here's who I really want to hear from right now. I want to hear from the people who don't quite get what I'm talking about. Because I'd like to three-dimensionalize it just really quickly, okay? So I'm sorry. We, it was really the announcements. We were a half hour on them and had to do them, and God help us, okay? But just real quickly, could, could the, does anybody who, who doesn't quite get this, okay? Uh, go back, and we need to get you on. So you see them right there? Okay, thank you. you to get back on the horse. Just realizing that I was, it's a little bit like an AA person saying I hit rock bottom. It was just realizing, God, this sucks. Why would I stay here? And so I just started going on my walks again. And I started talking to God again in new ways. And I started trying to find what that was. And I asked him and started trying to find meaning again and trust him and do all those kinds of things. And then just, just you know, fairly. I always liken my faith to a car battery in that it charges quick and it drains slow. So the draining of life from us happens so slowly we don't know what's happening. Was there a particular event? Oh, like I say, this, happened so, this has happened repeatedly throughout my life. I mean, everybody, everybody has a season where they're just not quite all there, right? You know what I mean? Okay, so it wasn't any particular thing that I could put my hand on. It was just all of a sudden I woke up and I went, oh, my battery's drained, and I need to get it charged back up. And so I just started doing the things that it takes. I started doing devotionals. I started, you know, just doing the stuff. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, bam, there it was again. Okay? Somebody else? Somebody who's struggling with this? in particular. If there's somebody who has an observation, that's the second one. Something that they think might really help, okay? Okay. Yeah. Say your name first, too. I'm Francine. Um, I'm struggling with understanding how, um, how you can go from one point to another and um, Let me, let me answer that, because I really wanted to do this sermon all in one, and it would be a two-hour sermon. So I, 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 if you want to understand more how to do this, come next week. I'm telling you, next week we're going to get right into the heart of this in, in some very, very practical ways, so that it becomes much more tangible. Okay? And I said we're only going to do three minutes, and it looks like there's not enough conversation to go more, any longer than that. But is there somebody else that would want to say something that they think is important to bring up right now? 
Did you? No, she was helping Francine. Is there anybody else? Go ahead. Um, I'm one of those AA people, and um, you know it is in our literature to you know represent ourselves as that. My last relapse, I dropped to my knees with some knowledge from AA, and I said the prayer, and that was, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me, to do with me as thou wilt, relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, the victory over them, may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. And I felt compelled to write something in the uh, service today, and I just want to share it with you guys really quick. We gather here together to praise your holy name. We rather you forever, no sacrifice in vain. Speak to us through one another. Speak to our hearts that love you so. Speak through my sister and my brother as we sing reaping what we will sow. I love it. Thank the thunder you. rolled in, and I grabbed it, so thanks. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else, just one more? Is there anybody else that want to say something? Go ahead, Mike, you bet. Stand up and <clears throat> say your name. Thanks. Mike Hatch. Um, what she's describing and what I'm hearing saying sounds kind of messy. You think? <laughs> Half the time not maybe even really getting it right. I, I actually just would love to hear you comment on, on that. And I would just express that's what I love about this place. Yeah. It's kind of messy. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're learning more in the mess than we ever could if we had it right. You know what I mean? Whatever that would mean. But no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It is messy. And when she talks about being the mule, that's the part that I really wanted you to hear. This thing that we're talking about is real. What you have to do is engage it. And if there's not another comment, I'm going to just really quickly, I want you to get rushers if you have extra bulletins. If you don't have a bulletin and a pen, you want one right now. Because I'm going to give you five things to do this week that's going to set you up so that next week becomes revelation to you in a much deeper way. Okay? So is there any other comments before I go forward? Anybody that really needs to say something? Okay. You good? Okay, thank you, Jesse. Okay, because I'm, I'm late and I hate it. I'm sorry. Here we go. All right? All right, continue the conversation. Talk about this on Facebook. Send us an email if you want to. You know what I mean? There's introverts. We always like you to talk, but if you want to think about it and then post... Put it on my Facebook, okay? In regards to the sermon, blah, 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 okay? And now watch. Here's the five things I want you to do this week, okay? The steps to knowing. Number one, just write this down. It starts with a sense. I want you to start understanding that God is actually talking to you, and that when he's talking to you, it's not necessarily like, VJ, do this. But rather, it's like there's this sense of something. See what I mean? So start looking for the sense of something that's in your life, okay? Some of that may not be God, by the way, don't, right? You got to be discerning, but just work through it, and if it's God, you'll get better and better at knowing if it is. That's number one. Number two, seek understanding with everything you've got. In other words, take all your intellectual horsepower and go after trying to understand what that thing actually is. See it? I want you to do this this week, I'm telling you, okay? Go after that with everything you've got. Number three, ask God, <laughs> right? As you're going out with everything you've got, be asking God the whole time, what does this mean? What are you doing? What are you saying? How am I supposed to process this? Teach me, right? Ask God. Number four, that's going to lead to an aha revelation. 
that's going to lead to a moment where you go, oh, I read that passage about things that are hidden and that will come to light, and I did not understand what it meant. And I pressed into God, and I pressed into God, and I pressed into God, and all of a sudden, God brought it to me. And when he did, it was that parable moment. It was that moment where I went, oh, my gosh. You're not just talking about parables. You're talking about how to live this walk that you've got for us, how to actually engage it. So it leads to an aha, and then the last one is don't give up until you get it. I'm telling you, there's some things that are going to last much of your life, but there's a whole lot of other things that are going to come more quickly than that. And I do want to say, does everybody in here understand the harder a thing comes to you, the more difficult it is to get it? The bigger the aha, so the bigger the imprint. Right? So the more difference it makes. I'm telling you, here's what I think an awful lot of struggle is about. God getting us to a place to where when he speaks, you understand what he's saying. Right? He's getting us to a place where he's brought us to an end of ourselves, and then he comes and says the word that he wants to say to us. And when he says it, you just go, wow. <laughs> right? So, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your congregation comes before your throne. And what we want, what we desire, what we're asking you for is, God, come and make us these instruments of your will in such a more fundamental way, in a way that you've literally built us to do. God, every one of us, whether we think we're intuitive or not, teach us how to understand how much you're leading us, guiding us, helping us in everything. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, Take us into surpassing places. Take us into places we've never imagined. Take us into places where the next six months of my life are the best six months I've ever experienced by far. Because I've engaged you. Because as I sought you, you were found. You made yourself known and you gave me more. God, take us there. Ole, ole, God, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Before you is communion. Pick that cup up. It's actually two cups. In the bottom cup is this bread. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, we bring this bread before your throne. This is the, this is the bread that has literally is our lives, and it is literally our lives having been broken because though we could have known, we didn't. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, you, <laughs> you're the one who's now healing that. You're the one who's now bringing us understanding. You're healing us so that we might participate, so that we might actually be that person in you that we want to be. In Jesus' holy and precious name, take your finger and put it down in there and just break it, would you? I love the sound of people acknowledging the ways that they've broken their own lives. Because what follows it is, by your stripes we are healed. So in Jesus' holy and precious names, we have been made whole together. Take this bread to be healed. And now in Jesus' spectacular name, in God, your in, in infinitely gorgeous plan, you have made a life for me that I haven't even begun to imagine. And in Jesus' name, I take this cup now that I should walk in it because you've already done it. 
and you're just lovingly with arms open with a big smile on your face saying, come this way. In Jesus' holy and precious name for the life that you've already given us, we take this cup in which is the life that you have for us. Take together.